Supergirl Radio Rebirth, your source for the DC Comics series called Supergirl Rebirth. My name is Rebecca Johnson. I'm Morgan Glennon. And for this episode of the podcast, we are going to discuss and review Supergirl number 20, which was written by Steve Orlando and Vita Ayala with art penciled, inked, and colored by Jamal Campbell. The description for this issue reads, quote, Supergirl must fight both Makari and the out-of-dimension Viking judge to save Director Bones from the fury of the Viking's magical axe. Meanwhile, with Director Bones out of the picture, Cameron Chase and Laurent must break into the DEO to save Veritas before the clock counts down to zero and the Psycho Redactor erases her memories forever, unquote. Very serious stuff happening here. Lives are on the line. Uh, new characters get introduced who cause a lot of problems in the city. A lot of people are fighting in this one. Uh, so this one, I, this issue, I think was really interesting because it introduced some Norse mythology into uh, Supergirl Rebirth. Uh, so Morgan, what did you think about getting to meet the Viking judge who had the fantastic name of Turid <laughs> Golden Axe. Turid Golden Axe um, is going to be the name of my punk rock band. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So prepare yourselves. Uh, No, I was uh, deeply, deeply confused. I was like... (laughs) What in the world is happening? I was reading it and I was like, is it because I haven't read this series in a while, or am I just legitimately out at sea? Am I just floating <laughs> away on an iceberg, <laughs> just out, out to town? I just, I was like, I don't understand what's happening. Um, there's a, there's a human skeleton and like an, like a kind of a green orange man <laughs> in a, in a, in a limo, and then suddenly, um. <laughs> Turid Golden Axe breaks it in <laughs> with a magical axe and a sense of Viking justice. And no part of that sentence makes any sense. And furthermore, and I feel like more importantly, no part of that sentence is ever properly explained. Like Turid Golden Axe shows up out of nowhere. There's no explanation for who she is where she came from, what she's doing, and then she literally magically poofs out at the end of the issue. (laughs) She does. And and I just sat there and was like, what? (laughs) What is happening? When, when, when turn golden axe leaves, um, it's because somebody shows up. Hold on. Let me, let me find out who it was. Uh, His name is neon. I think. So somebody named Neon shows up in a like in a whirl of sparkling neon colors <laughs> is like, okay, we gotta go. And then they both disappear to the to the point it's confusing to Supergirl herself, <laughs> who, who says, and I quote, gone? Just like that. <laughs> <laughs> It is incomprehensible. I have no idea. I'm going to shoot straight. I have no idea what happened (laughs) in this issue whatsoever. It was like a long fever dream. (laughs) (laughs) Involving Turin Golden Axe. (laughs) Although, on the plus side, so many mentions of cyanide sweat. (laughs) 
the only thing in this issue I did understand. <laughs> so I guess because Supergirl is confused, that does make us feel better. Because there were parts of it that I was like, I don't know what's going on. I don't know who these people are. I keep wanting to text you, Rebecca, and be like, what is what is happening? <laughs> so Turret Golden Axe and this neon character I had never seen before. But apparently there were mentions in this issue of someone named John Haroldson and Valoric. So I was like, who and what? So I looked up what that was just to put some context around some of this stuff. It, this Hopefully this will help. But Valoric first appeared in uh, issue uh, All Out War Volume 1, Number 1 from October 1979. Bel- and uh, Valoric was believed to be an ancient Viking who fought the Huns and was one of a tribe ancestral to the Scandinavians of today. So oh. that's uh, that's who Valoric was. Uh, John Haroldson, which seems like a pretty normal name compared to Turid <laughs> Golden X. Um, but John Haroldson's first appearance was in The Brave and the Bold, vo- Volume 1, Number 1. Uh, there's a lot of history with John Haroldson. I'll just uh, read it re- really quickly. Uh, Most of the Viking prince's history is shrouded in mystery and often considered legend. Historical accounts vary, and some appear to contradict one another. An accurate history of the Viking prince has yet to be recorded. In one of his earlier stories, he was found amnesiac and given the name John by a Scandinavian fisherman. It was discovered that John was actually a prince, the son of a king, uh, the son of King Rick. In another story, the Viking prince at some point fell in love with a Valkyrie, but was consequently banished from Valhalla by the Norse god Odin, who said he could only return to his love if he died a heroic death. However, Odin also made the Viking prince invulnerable to all known weapons. Because of this, the Viking prince became a death seeker. Eventually, the Viking prince was found himself uh, would fa- find himself frozen in ice and preserved throughout the centuries until a until being awakened during the onset of World War II. It is here that the Viking fought alongside Sergeant Frank Rock until his supposed death when he fell to plastic plastic explosive, an unknown weapon at the time the curse was made. So apparently he went under some curse. So he has a very interesting story. I hope we get to meet John Haroldson at some point. (laughs) They were just barely... They were barely mentioned in this story, but it gave me at least something to hold on to while I was trying to figure out what was happening here. Um, And I was very confused about Turid Golden Axe because it sounded like she had some kind of like a firestorm thing happening with her. I don't know if that's what you got out of it. So when when Neon shows up at the end, it's like, hey, have you let out, like, when's the last time you let out such and such person, which I haven't got, clearly, I haven't gotten to that page yet, because that's why this summary was so good for me. But uh, yeah, it definitely like made me think that she is like, at least cohabitating in a body with somebody else. Uh, let me see. The uh, the person is named Agnes, Agnes, which I think is hilarious. Agnes yes. is a name that's not coming back, but yeah. uh, but Agnes, Agnes and uh, Turid Goldenax are hanging out together. Listen, I'm I'm naming my firstborn um, Agnes Turid Goldenax. So <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. It's gonna be a long name, but they're gonna love it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and a- apparently uh, Neon and Turid are are now having to find something called Quench. Maybe that's a person. I don't know. 
Maybe it's a soft drink of some kind. <laughs> yeah, I, don't, I don't know. But yeah, you're right. They just come in and leave. I felt like I was like high reading this. <laughs> I was like, did I take did I take too many painkillers for my surgery? Like what? <laughs> there's a there's a, a Viking named Turin Golden Axe and everything's neon now. Like what is happening? I also got a little confused because it seemed like at first Turin was okay with Supergirl, uh, but and, but then she kind of goes into this thing about how she doesn't like evil and that's why she's going after Director Bones. But then she attacks Supergirl, so I got really confused. Um, but it seemed like they did have some uh, philosophical uh, differences in terms of how they handled uh, people who mad- made bad choices or did bad things. Um, a turret is basically judge, jury, and executioner. And Supergirl tries to reason with Turid to kind of encourage her not to do that, that they would handle it a different way. So they do have some I, – I could understand that part of it, that they had uh, conflicting – ways of of going about to get justice so that part i at least understood it does seem like uh turin golden axe and um neon are characters that are going to be that were in the unexpected like some offshoot series called the unexpected because the um the editor's note was where'd they go find out in the unexpected number one um so I guess, I mean, I guess if uh, if I wanted to know more about my girl Turin, I could, I could look her up and find out what, who she's uh, trying to axe in the unexpected number one. Maybe we should do a whole uh, other <laughs> series on Supergirl Radio of, of Turin Golden Axe and follow her adventures. Oh, you, you mean Turin Golden Axe Radio? That's <laughs> <laughs> our spinoff podcast. <laughs> Uh, uh, yes, that I'm sure that has lots of adventures uh, associated with that. I did like Turin Golden Axe for a lot of reasons. Um, the hair, the outfit, the the name. But the reason <laughs> I liked her for the most was because she went like full snapper car and tried to chop off Director Bones' hand. Yes. Did you see that? I immediately started like howling when I saw that. <laughs> well, she does seem to understand that like that's where his power lies. Um, and so I do think that that's really interesting because that comes up in the issue where uh, Director Bones tries to, what I liked in terms of Director Bones's hands is that he tries to harm Supergirl with them. Um, even though she saves him, with, uh, when the truth comes out about what he has done, he turns on Supergirl and tries to kill her with the cyanide yeah. sweat. And it turns out that he, she is not affected by it. So I do like the... Um, the the little teases in there about his his superpower that could kill you and and who is affected by that and who's not I did I did think that that was a, a cool thing in, in this issue. Also have to say, I came out of this issue with quite a few questions about Director Bones. Um, besides, how is he so amazing? I love him. <laughs> also, he gets shot. Did he? Does he get shot or does he get hit with that axe? I think he gets hit with the axe because she doesn't have a gun. He gets hit with the axe in his leg, and then he's, like, limping away. There's blood. Now, I'm not an expert, but he is a bone man. (laughs) 
<laughs> Where did the blood come from? Is the blood stored inside of his bones? Is it marrow that he's like, squirting out? Like, what's happening? He does also, I think Makari shoots him with some kind of laser. That's what it was, yes. Uh, because they're both trying to run away from the Viking judge, uh, Turid Goldenex, and to slow him down so that Turid goes after bones and Makari can get away. Makari shoots him with a laser. Uh, yeah, my question, a good point about the blood. Uh, my <laughs> question is, uh, d- do his bones heal like uh, like people, you know, just regular, like if we, if we were to break our legs, our bones could heal themselves, uh, you know, given some time. Like it does, is that the same thing for Director Bones? Does he have super healing? Is it a little faster for him? I, yeah, I have a, I had some questions about Director Bones and his actual bones in this issue. Yeah, I was like, am I, now I'm trying to find the, pa- yeah, okay, here it is. I was like, I was beginning to think that I had made it up and that I was going to have to issue a retraction, but <laughs> I was like, I'm, I'm so sorry. Um, but I am correct. It's on page 20 up at the top. When director bones is trying to run away, you can see that on his pant leg, there is blood. Now <laughs> where as a man made entirely of bones because of his cyanide sweat, where does the blood come from? Now, I think we're going to have to do a deep dive into Director Bones's <laughs> I, I um, <laughs> so. backstory because I'm I can't remember now if I want to say like his appearance to us looks like Bones, but I think there's an actual dude like in the body but for some reason he just has the appearance of bones you might be right because i feel like they made a reference and now i'm obviously not going to be able to find it because i'm looking for it (laughs) but i feel like they did make a reference to like that being the case and i don't remember and it was i think it was in this issue and now i don't remember what the the panel was or what the um the bubble said but you could be, and, and I feel like that throws me off a little bit m- more, even because I'm like, what, what, what is Director Bones? I need, I need answers. I need the biology of Director Bones. <laughs> oh, here it is. So, so it's um, who's the other guy with the like the really intense, insane eyebrows? That's Mokari. Mokari. So Mokari says, "I'll vivisect you and weave your invisible flesh." Um, what? (laughs) (laughs) Like, I don't. So what does that? It's invisible. That makes sense because I think like when he's smoking or drinking something like you can see it's like if he was to drink something, we're really going a deep dive into we're gonna, Director Bones' anatomy. This should surprise nobody that this is what we've <laughs> chosen to talk about in this issue. <laughs> Not the actual story, but like, <laughs> why is Director Bones bleeding? <laughs> <laughs> but I think like if he was to drink something, you would see the liquid go down his throat, I think, but it would still be going down, like he would actually have a throat. Like everything would be functioning functioning normally, but we would just see him as like bones and skeleton. Maybe. Yeah, that makes some sense. Everything about Director Bones is amazing, but also so mysterious. <laughs> <laughs> but if he has invis- invisible flesh, that would, that would make sense that his appearance uh, 
for us looks like skeleton bones, but he he actually has flesh. It's just we can't see it. So that invisible flesh got nicked by whatever that was and it caused him to bleed. We just see him as uh, skull and bones. Seems like that's the case. I feel we have gone on such a deep dive. Um, but I feel like, you know what? I feel like we're really bringing valuable information. <laughs> like we are educating the public the more you know style on, on Director Bones. I feel like our summer series of episodes uh, have been very educational. <laughs> we have you know we have a we had some lawyers on to talk about the law we've dissected the biology of director bones these are important (laughs) questions we're teaching the people yes so i I think that's a very valid point about the the blood on (laughs) director bones's leg it was a good catch it's a very um small thing in that panel it's one small thing i was like i can't wait to talk to rebecca about this this is going to be the entire (laughs) (laughs) yes so i'm glad you caught that because it was an excellent excellent point um i i did think that this was an interesting uh issue for director bones because he's put in this situation where supergirl has to save him but then he also uh, tries to kill her. And I did like, uh, I guess we'll, we'll talk about the art uh, a little bit later, but there are some really great panels of just his skeleton-y, bony hands. Um, <laughs> and so I really, I enjoyed that aspect of Director Bones. And he's still, like, dressed to the nines, looking sharp. I think he's still got his same tie on from issue... 19 no from issue 19 no no it's it's blue though he does love the blue ties it's blue with like a nice silver stripe oh yeah he has a stripe it's not the stars anymore yeah it's not the stars the stars are only for fancy uh fancy occasions like when he sits (laughs) in his empty office and stares at a picture of himself (laughs) (laughs) the 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 blue stripes are for a more casual almost (laughs) getting killed by a viking (laughs) kind of day he does. Uh, I mean, blue is a color that's that's working for him, though. I'm glad he's he's really sticking to what uh, what he likes. He's playing to his strengths. <laughs> yeah, and I I think it's uh it's it's a cool trait for Director Bones it, it, for me that he has this strange skeleton appearance, but he takes great pride in how he looks. Like he's he always wears these nice suits. He has decorative ties. Uh, so I appreciate that about Director Bones. He 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 wants to look like a professional. Could you imagine how hard it must be to like tailor Director Bones a suit? I wish I could be <laughs> a, a fly on the wall for those situations, just to see what those tailors uh, think about everything uh, going on with his appearance. I felt bad for him when the DEO stopped taking his calls. I know I'm not supposed to because he's the villain. But, I mean, he's on the ground. He's, like, just trying to – he thinks he's going to get the people, like, the SWAT team in, stat. And that story goes live, and no one is taking his call anymore. And that – just the, his hello at the end just kind of broke my heart. I'm like, I mean, at least at least pick up the phone when he's calling and be like, uh, we can't – you know, we can't – we're a little busy right now. Yeah, I felt <laughs> bad for him, too, that he, he was in a really tough situation because – he even um, when he's taught, he's there's a there's a great panel on page ten where uh, Director Bones is on the ground and he's looking up at Turret and he says, "You don't understand. We want the same thing. My job job is to protect people from these threats." So he actually, even though people see him as 
a bad guy, he sees himself as a hero who is doing the right thing. So I do feel bad for him in that regard that he, you know, he's put in this situation where he thinks he's doing the right thing. And then this Viking woman with an ag- a magical axe comes and attacks <laughs> his car. So, I, yeah, I, I think uh, maybe some people don't agree with his tactics, but he's, he's trying to do uh, the best he can. And I think um, speaking of Director Bones and kind of his uh, gray area, uh, what I thought was cool about this issue is that the axe, uh, which the name is called uh, Bright Marshall, I think. The axe has a name. Uh, the axe's name is Bright Marshall, which is a weird name to name an axe. Uh, that's, But I guess that works for a character named Turret Golden Axe. Um, so <laughs> Bright Marshall, the axe, is reforged is the reforged axe of Forsetti, the lawgiver of the Asir, which I think is just a lot of fancy language about Norse mythology. Um, so that axe, uh, I, I was drawn to the reflections in this issue. There were a lot of, like, really great artistic reflections that were happening in some of these panels. And uh, the issue actually re- references the fact that Turid uses those reflections in the axe to know things about people. And this is important because the axe reveals the crimes of all people. And so when she sees uh, bones in the reflection of the axe, she knows that he's done some crimes. He's he's done some bad things. And uh, I think this is really important in terms of Supergirl because uh, up until interacting with Supergirl, uh, it had always shown a, a, a reflection. And when she... <clears throat> interacts with Supergirl, uh, there isn't a reflection. So I think the axe is, a, is an indicator in terms of the good and bad of people. So Director Bones, I do have a little sympathy for him, but he's being attacked because the axe tells Turret he's done some bad things. Yeah, I like the idea of the axe being kind of like the mirror of the soul. Like, mm. <laughs> like that axe reflects if you're a bad person and like what bad things you've done. Um, and cause on Supergirl, it doesn't reflect anything. Uh, and she says that she's never, uh, it's never shown no reflection. So I thought that was an interesting concept because I feel like Supergirl, the, the issue before, uh, number 19 was all about how Supergirl is, while an alien is, is kind of human like the rest of us and has made mistakes and isn't always perfect and doesn't always do the right thing. Yet this axe is like, nope, perfect. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I thought that was, that was to me almost a little disappointing because it almost contradicted the issue before it, where it was like, you know, I'm not always going to make the right decision. Sometimes I'm going to make mistakes and that's okay. And I learn from them. And the axe is like, actually you've made no mistakes. You're doing great. <laughs> That's a really good point. Excellent point. I guess maybe maybe the axe, if they were to explain it further, this is just my speculation, but maybe it maybe it depends on intent. Maybe Supergirl doesn't have the intent to do bad things, uh, whereas Director Bones sometimes maybe does have uh, some intent to do bad. Or maybe it's that um, our, our girl, uh, <laughs> Golden Axe, only ever goes after... <laughs> criminal type people and so the axe would would then show her you know the their 
crimes or whatever, where she doesn't usually fight against people who are just like, hey, I was just trying to get Starbucks today. Yeah, (laughs) that is a good point. So there's a lot of uh, questions about how the axe works and uh, who it affects (laughs) and why she has it uh, and why she named it Bright Marshall. Uh, I have so many questions about the axe. Uh, so I, I don't know if we'll ever uh, learn uh, the answers to those questions since they did poof out by the end of the, <laughs> of the issue. Unfortunately, they poofed out before they could explain anything about their deal. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess we'll just have to, on our own personal time, do our own personal research. Do our own research. <laughs> on Turin Golden Axe. I need to know so much more about Turin Golden Axe. Uh, So in addition to uh, the Viking judge uh, trying to uh, bring uh, justice to Director Bones in the city, uh, uh, in the streets of the National, in the streets of the National, um, we also got the story, we got sort of a side story of Laurent and Cameron Chase rescuing Shea Veritas. So what did you think about all that? I thought that that uh, that storyline was pretty was pretty fun. Because it was kind of like, um, you know, they're breaking into the DEO while, um, you know, Turin, a girl Turin and Supergirl are keeping um, Director Bones sort of occupied. Yeah, it was like a distraction. Well, it's it's funny because it seemed like the the plan all along was like, we're going to, we're going to, you know distract director bones and while we're distracting director bones we have this whole plan that's going off and then it's like oh no no this weird viking person is ruining our plan but actually the weird viking person like enhanced their plan by making it weirder (laughs) and more distracting. like there was no way he was getting to the deo with like a viking trying to throw an axe at his face like that wasn't gonna happen at first that's why i think while i was reading this i was like is the Viking part of their plan? Because it didn't seem, it didn't seem to me like something had gone terribly wrong. It seemed like for them, something had gone terribly right. (laughs) (laughs) Like no, no one cares about getting back to the DEO when like they have somebody with horns on their head, trying to bore them. Like it's just (laughs) not happening. Um, I also, again, it's been a really long time since we've read this. And so I, I was forgetting, I mean, I just, it's kind of like coming into something cold and then reading it, and it just all sounds like um, something I had in a fever dream. Like, when they <laughs> explain the plan, it's like, uh, let me let me try to find it. Um, meanwhile, Insight allowed himself to be captured. <laughs> Bones EMP wired his data suit in active tech. What does that mean? What does that mean? EMP wipes his data. And then it's like, but the nanotech in Insight's blood activated after the EMP. It's been data trolling the DEO secrets this whole time. <laughs> what? what does that mean? <laughs> There's a lot of techno mumbo jumbo in that plan. It's just a bunch of like nonsense words strung together. I feel like I feel like you know those like word magnets that you can put on the yes. fridge. And, like, I felt a, a lot of times reading this issue, like I was like, "Are they just messing with me?" And, like I'm, I know it's been a while since I've read this this series, but I really feel like. I don't think that the context would have helped me here. I think all we should know. <laughs> to 
Should I remember who that character is? Insight was in Rebirth previously. Also on page six, I think I'm just going to go through and uh, read parts of this that that made me go, I'm sorry, what? (laughs) Uh, Please do. They've got they've got Shay. She's all um, she's all sort of like. I don't know. She's like watching a whole bunch of weird stuff on screens and she's strapped down. And I guess they're trying to like wipe her memory. It seems like, or, uh, or burn some new memories in there. I don't know. They're doing something to her memory, but then it says when it reaches zero, the psycho react, react, What is it? The psycho redactor, the psycho redactor activates. Think about that sentence. <laughs> Explain anything about what that means. I was just like, what is happening? So much of this issue was just like weird concepts that seem like they like somebody thought, like, what if we had a big machine and we gave it a funny name? And then there was a Viking, and we gave her a funny name, <laughs> and then we gave her axe a funny name, and they were all in this issue. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a lot of that was something that I was uh, really struggling to understand. Uh, I tried to just, for my purposes of reading the issue, I was just trying to boil it down to what are the necessary elements that I need to know here. Um, but I appreciate that you actually tried to understand it because I <laughs> it just kind of went over my head a lot of the time. I felt like I was going to get on this podcast and you were going to be like, oh, no, no, you remember the, the psycho redactor. And I'd been like, oh, yeah, I guess I forgot. But it, it, it really makes me feel so much better that you were like, no, I had no idea as well. No, a lot of that was just mumbo jumbo. Also... So I was zooming in on the because I was just trying to understand, just trying to understand what it is that I read. And so on page eleven, when Cameron, Chase, and Lauren just sort of break into the DEO, just sort of rappel down and uh, give that dude his pants. Um, <laughs> <laughs> on the bottom of the page, so Cameron is talking to Insight. Insight, I have the receiver address for the data dump, of course, you know, because all this makes sense. Um, <laughs> but off in the corner, Laurent goes, strange visitor, there you go, and just seems to break open some shit, <laughs> some crap in the corner. Like, there's just, like, a pod that seems to be in the top uh, the top right panel where Insight is talking about how he wants pants. There it seems to be a pod across from him that has a person in it, like, a maybe a, a lady in it, and... It seems like Laurent just busts her out. Now, should we know who that character is? Will this ever come back? Okay, so I'm remembering. So we're going to take a little trip down memory lane. Okay, thank God. To, to try to put some of this in context. I also thought like Laurent might just be like going like punk, like full metal and just like breaking everybody out while Cameron isn't paying attention. Well, he is a Kryptonian werewolf. Does he have exactly. a lot of his memories? Of so- I mean, I, maybe he just kind of does things as a werewolf. Um, So in Supergirl number 16, we get introduced to uh, the character of Insight, who is also known as Mastracola. So in my notes, I have Kara sitting on the sidelines with the Danvers because the DEO is hunting Supergirl and Kara Danvers. We got a reminder. Well, actually, we met Mastracola in Supergirl number one at the very beginning. Uh, We got a reminder in Supergirl number 16 that Supergirl counseled Mastracola in prison. Um... 
Master Cola also fights Strange Visitor, who is that sort of bluish character in uh, this this issue that we're talking about. So Strange Visitor, when they talk about uh, a visitor in the issue, they're talking about Strange Visitor. So we got to know her a little bit. Uh, Master Cola can see and hear data from all over National City, which means he hears Supergirl before she even gets to save him from Strange Visitor. So um, Master Cola appeared in Supergirl number 16, first sort of introduced in Supergirl number one. So Supergirl had some interactions with him in the past, and he was uh, sort of uh, involved with the DEO shenanigans, um, and he knew what Director Bones was up to, and he did have some technologically-based powers. So I my problem with the Master Cola stuff is that that wasn't very well explained to begin with, so then when you hop into Supergirl number 20, it's like, well, yeah, I kind of remember that there was a character called Insight, but I, I, I didn't really understand his deal to begin with. So now I'm having to really struggle to figure out what his deal is. And if you if you do an internet su- search for Insight DC Comics, nothing pops up. So it's like, <laughs> I don't even think the people who do the fandom wikis really care about this character. Uh, so... Yeah, it's uh, very confusing. All I think we really need to know in in Supergirl number 20 is that Insight and Strange Visitor had previously been referenced in Supergirl number 16, so we are seeing them again. So I think Steve Orlando is trying to connect uh, what happened uh, for issues before and is now bringing them back into this one. I don't know if that helps at all. It probably didn't. It probably made it more confusing. It helps a little bit. <laughs> it was all, um, I don't know that I've ever read any any uh, issue that I've been more like, huh. <laughs> I, came, I came out of this, I have to say, like, I know we'll get into our overalls later, but this one was a wild ride for me. I don't, I can't even say I didn't, like, didn't have fun reading it it was like at some point like either you're trying to figure out what's happening or you just kind of like let go and and like just let it pull you out to see and that's kind of what I did I was just like I guess stuff's happening all right (laughs) yeah I think the Viking judge director bone stuff was (laughs) there was some confusion there but it was at least you could kind of go with it but then when you got to the camera chase insight all of that kind of thing it was a little more difficult to follow yeah because i feel like it on first read i didn't even register that like lauron had let these people out to help them take over the deo like i don't i mean i saw him smash that thing and i was like i don't know maybe that's just what he's into he is a werewolf <laughs> <laughs> he, he he might smash things up anyway uh yeah so there i i would agree with you it was hard to follow some of this stuff uh, but I did get like getting to see Lauron as a Kryptonian werewolf in action. It was cool to see him as a werewolf next to Cameron Chase and her not thinking it was any big deal that she's hanging out with a werewolf. I enjoy that because I think their <laughs> partnership, awesome. their partnership is is a little strange, but I enjoy that it's becoming commonplace for them now. So I think that's uh, really cool, and I, I did think it was a nice payoff to the issue that they do end up saving Shea Veritas and they you know they've been working this whole time to find out where she is and try to rescue her and then they finally do so that I I thought was a a good payoff uh for those characters in this issue um 
so yeah, I that was the weaker of the stories. I I was more into the axe and the reflections of the axe and the director bones stuff. Uh, so the Shea Veritas stuff wasn't as exciting for me, but I did like that they did have this plan. They were trying to uh, break into the DEO and kind of, uh, I think it mentions that they were um, raiding smaller DEO sites and collecting evidence about the DEO's illegal activities and how they were selling their tech to the black market. So they're starting to get evidence on what Director Bones has been doing. So I think that's kind of cool that they are um, trying to reform the DEO by exposing all of their bad deeds and maybe making it better. So maybe Cameron Chase can go back to working for the DEO. I don't know. I don't know what happens with that, but that's, I mean, maybe she can help uh, bring uh, the reputation of the DEO back up because it, se- it seems like it's uh, gone down uh, uh, into a bad path. Yeah, it's, it hasn't been, uh, it hasn't been going well at the DEO, I, I don't think. I, I have to say, so this is, I guess, hooks into that, the, you know, the fight for the DEO sort of storyline. Um, for an intern, Ben has some real, um, real access privileges that I don't quite, I mean, I'm not Cat Grant. I don't, I'm not pretending I am, but how, how is he posting things to Catco, the Daily Planet, the Daily Star, the Gotham Gazette? Is he sending these tips in this data dump to journalists there? In which case it's a data dump. So shouldn't that be quite a bit of data? How did it go up on to uh, the Times Square screen in um, one like like five minutes later. That is a good question because does he have contacts at these other uh, news outlets, or is he uploading like the article itself? That's sort of what it felt like to me. Like oh. he was like, "Here it is," uh, because it does seem like it's a full article. Like also, it's got the the weird the the worst headline. I mean, it's <laughs> twenty five headlines. It is DEO deceived. I mean, uh, you always want a question in your headline. DEO <laughs> <laughs> director in league with alien terrorist. S- no period. Uh, Supergirl targeted. <laughs> uh, that's not really a sentence. DEO illegal experiments revealed. Then director bones dot dot deceiver exclamation point. Supergirl framed. Um I don't know. That's twelve different stories. So maybe they're just maybe they're just a, a full listing of all the stories that are now available, and it's not one giant headline. But so much happened in there. Yeah, they they have to fill up that screen, and there's no there are no images that go with any of that. No. Uh, so you're just you're expecting everyone down on the street to uh, read all of that text on the buildings. <laughs> Could you imagine? There's just like a whole bunch of car accidents as they try to read all of it. <laughs> I'm sorry I ran that red light, but I had only gotten to DEO deceived. <laughs> I had to know more. <laughs> you would think you would want to put some images with that. Just something. Just like a maybe a big skull face or something on there. <laughs> Surely the DEO has like a like a staff page where they have a, a headshot of Director Bones they could put up. <laughs> Director on. Bones. It's it's probably the picture that's like on that photo on his wall. <laughs> There's like it's a it's a weird flex that he has up a picture of him when he was a supervillain on his uh LinkedIn <laughs> profile, but okay. Yeah, you would think that they would go through other articles to find a picture of Director Bones. Yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, at least go to his Facebook page or something. You know that there's a picture of, like, Director Bones, like, sipping a Mai Tai on there or something <laughs> that you could in a Hawaiian shirt. He's like, listen, I have to unwind sometime. It can't just be all cyanide sweat every day. <laughs> I like the idea that Director Bones has a Facebook page. <laughs> me too. Yeah, that makes I'd me happy. Friend. <laughs> yeah, I would too. Um, I would like all of his posts. Uh, yeah, so Ben does seem to have a lot of authority sending things to other news outlets. Uh, so that is a great question. And it should be mentioned that the Daily Star is basically like the daily planet of Earth, too. Or it used to be considered that. Um, so like in the golden age when Clark Kent and Lois Lane started working for a newspaper, it was actually the Daily Star. And yeah. their, and their uh, editor-in-chief was not Perry White. It was a man named... George Taylor. So uh, I have questions about the Daily Star in this continuity. Is it still the paper on Earth, too? Or is there also Hmm. a Daily Star in addition to the Daily Planet? That's my question. Uh, So I do have questions about Ben and who he is sending these things to. Um, But I also really liked at the end of this issue, we get uh, a revisit to... um, we get to revisit Ben and Kara's relationship because that was kind of a, a nice thing towards the end of that sort of what feels like a first chapter of Rebirth uh, where they were sort of going to dances together and maybe building like a little bit of a romantic relationship. And so we got to see Ben come over to the Danvers house for dinner. So um, I thought that was a really nice way to sort of close out the issue that um, they are still sort of i guess in a relationship they're holding hands under the table and uh so i really enjoyed that yeah i like that too i I thought it was um we in the last issue or two we've gotten to see a lot more of ben not just you know sort of in the action helping out but also his home life which we know from last issue is not great he's got he's in that apartment all by himself in this issue he goes to dinner with them and he kind of says you know basically like um you know this was the first family dinner i've had since my family sent me out here and even if they hadn't they had their own priorities uh and the best i could do was dance between them so we sort of learned that he's been really neglected um in his family life for a while so i thought that that was it was nice to to get some more info on ben to sort of see them um connecting a little bit more yeah the more we hear about ben and his family the more i feel bad for him but then i also am glad for him because he knows Kara and jeremiah and eliza and they're sort of giving him a positive family life to uh to not replace his his parents or his biological family but he at least has some positive people in his life who are encouraging him and kind of acting as a family for him so i'm glad he he has them to um, to you know go to dinner with and and uh, be part of their traditions. Um, and I did think it was funny at the end. He he sort of ducks out of the dinner because he's like, I promised Supergirl I would help her with something. And <laughs> what is it? It's her getting on TV. I laughed so incredibly hard when that happened and was like, I could not wait to talk to you about it. Because I do. <laughs> I was like, Rebecca is flipping. Because this is the, I mean, to be fair, this is the, the Cara Danvers power move. Oh, yeah. Supergirl's got to just get on TV. She's like, listen, I can change the world if only I have a television camera pointed at me. And it's not even a television camera. It looks like a, like a 
Canon snapshot or something. Yeah, it really <laughs> does. Like, uh, Ben, do you know how to use a tripod? <laughs> <laughs> Not even a full tripod because one of the legs is like, uh, seems to be disappearing into his uh, side. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Did you that? It's so, very short. I don't think they took the nine, time to draw out the rest of that tripod. <laughs> Maybe it is behind him. They're like, people get the idea. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, we don't We don't have to draw the whole thing. Uh, but yeah, so I did think it was funny because, you know, Supergirl's power move is getting on TV and talking about hope. And there is a panel where she says, I, I just hope that someday you'll believe in me as just as much as I believe in all of you, which is a nice sentiment. Uh, but it is Supergirl talking about hope on the screen. So I enjoyed that immensely because that felt very... CW Supergirl, Melissa Benoist, to me. <laughs> so I was glad that they, you know, it feels like Rebirth is, uh, it's it's taking some influences from the show and putting it in the, the comic, especially with all the DEO stuff. And even in this issue, they mention image inducers, which is something that the show has recently uh, done in terms of the, the aliens and how the aliens use the image image inducers to sort of blend in with the the rest of society so i'm glad to see that the the comic people are uh taking uh taking cues from the show and putting it in the com in the comics so i did i definitely did enjoy that i also had a question uh about one of our favorite topics which is um that eliza just doesn't just appears to be missing a, a hand yeah we talked about this we talked about this very much we finally got an answer uh, from Steve Orlando uh, on Twitter, we know we know what she was inspired by. However, I do have to say, I find the the choice to have her hand bandaged sh strange. Do you find that strange? Oh uh, well, yes. Now that you mention it, <laughs> doesn't it seem like because to me that reads as if it's still an injury, still an injury, and not just. That she, you know, is a person who doesn't have a hand and just lives without a hand and that's fine. Like, I, I feel like if that was the case, would you, would you band, would you bandage up your arm? Well, see, I'm not as well versed in I'm not either. these kinds of things. <laughs> so maybe some people live like that or some people may choose to try a prosthetic uh, I, I, I guess it's a personal choice and how you deal with that. But it, it does, the bandage does indicate to me that this is like a more recent thing that maybe she still has an injury to it that has to heal up. So I do think in regards to the bandage in terms of the healing thing, that is a strange choice because it, it makes me think when I look at it, that this is something that has recently happened. Yeah, exactly. And because I was like, well, you know, I, I, I don't know. I'm not well-versed in this either. I don't know if there would be any reason in particular that she would have to bandage that up while she was just, like, serving dinner. I don't, I mean... I, I noticed it in the. I think I noticed it in issue nineteen as well. Yeah, she had a, she had a prominent panel. And it was bandaged again, and I was like... I mean, if you're just going to have a comic book character, like a character that just like casually doesn't have a hand and it's like kind of never explained and they never mention it, the bandage seems like a weird ad, doesn't it? And I, I know that Steve Orlando wanted to have a character in here in uh, Rebirth to pay homage to someone he knew in real life who had a disability. And I think that's great. 
But in terms of the the world of these that these characters live in, it would sort of make sense that Eliza would at some point get some kind of prosthetic because she's working at the DEO. They have all this advanced technology and they were recently, you know, uh, fighting cyborg supermen. So it would make sense that they would have access to uh, technology that would help Eliza recover from this. So uh, I don't know. It doesn't make uh, a lot of sense from a story and character perspective. Uh, but I guess we'll just have to keep going with it. If she's supposed to be a character who just, you know, has this um, disability that she lives with and she's completely, you know, used to it. Why would you why would you need to bandage? bandage your you know your hand up it's a good question you would think it would just be you know just be flesh toned it's almost like they're it's almost like the comic was kind of trying to like bring attention to it like there it is yeah i guess maybe that's the only way that they thought they could visually display it represent it yeah Um, I, i yeah I was just confused, basically. That's that's the long and short of this this whole long. Listen, uh, there there was a lot of director bones questions I had. Uh, I had I had some I had some Eliza questions as well. Well, and I think we should uh, clarify that in no way has Rebirth actually explained this nope, in the context sure of the story and the issues. The Steve Orlando answer to the missing hand was actually because one of our listeners (laughs) tweeted him about it and that's the only reason we ever found out anything about his friend with a disability uh being the inspiration for eliza danvers so uh rebirth has not done a good job of uh explaining eliza's missing hand and then also explaining why it looks the way it does. So we are just having to speculate in the dark about all of this. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That's that's why I'm always like, I mean, what is what's happening? It, it feels, but I will say, it feels kind of of a piece with Rebirth, where like, especially with this issue, where, where I was just like, all right, <laughs> like I don't, I don't fully ever seem to know what's happening. I mean, I don't know how many times when we've uh, read these issues where I've, I've asked you a question like, is it that I missed something or don't remember something or does this just is this just happening? And a lot of a lot of the times the answer is it's just happening. And I I think the reason why like the previous issue number nineteen was so successful in storytelling is that it didn't it was more standalone. This this issue, I think it really depended on uh, were you following along with things that had happened in previous issues. So you really had to go back and remember who these people were. Uh, So uh, that's probably more on us than the uh, the the writing in terms of following along with the continuity, because it has been so long since we've covered these uh, (laughs) this series. Um, But, yeah, I mean, a lot of it is. It's not as well written in terms of making sure the audience knows what's going on or the reader knows what's going on. Um, I guess we could talk about the art really quickly. Um, I enjoyed page five, uh, getting an insight into Ben's apartment. Uh, he has a we, we've had questions about what Ben's position really is at CatCo. We think he's just an intern, <laughs> but maybe he's like a full time staff member making, you know, six uh, six figures a year. I don't know. But he, <laughs> he has a really big apartment that it's has a- stairs 
And it's, I have to imagine that his parents are like super rich, right? Because he, he in the in the previous issue in uh, number nineteen, I believe he's talking to his mom, and his mom is like, "Oh, didn't you get our money for the rent?" Oh, and he, yeah. He, he starts to be like, "Mom, you can't just throw money at everything." And she's like, "Oh, I stopped paying attention to you a second ago." <laughs> Yeah, so maybe maybe it's all coming from his his parents. Yeah, because because uh, otherwise, yeah, what are they paying interns at Catco? And can I get a job? I mean, this could be a National City real estate question. Like, what does it take? <laughs> sure could. How much is it to to buy an apartment for one person, like a one bedroom in in the National? As we as we call it in the know, the National. <laughs> So did you have any uh, panels or or pages that stuck out to you in this issue? Page seven. Uh, That's when we um, are introduced to uh, your best friend and mine, uh, Turin Goldenax, (laughs) the Viking Judge Reborn. Um, Didn't notice. She's got some freckles. That's cute. Um, (laughs) I zoomed in and I was like, oh, oh, cool. Um, She's got some great, some great hair going on. She's got some great horns. There's a the axe. She's just really, she's really crushing the game. Um, and then the second, so she comes out in this huge panel. The next panel is uh, Director Bones full scale running away. I love it and I respect it. I mean, he was like, no, no, I don't want to deal with whatever this is. <laughs> I'm getting out of here. Um, I feel like that's a good encapsulation of both characters, and I I appreciated it. (laughs) Yeah, Director Bones was uh, not having it. He was going to get away. Uh, he was a he 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 knew this was somebody he he wasn't gonna mess with, um, and and speaking of that, I really like uh, on page nine. There's a really really great uh, panel of well, it's it's uh, a, a big uh, a shot of Supergirl coming in between the Viking Judge and Director Bones. Oh, cool. I really like the use of colors there. The composition is really great in terms of Supergirl being in the middle of them. I can even like when I stare at the picture, if I if I slowed myself down to really study that image, I could actually sort of feel the motion of uh, Golden Axe throwing her 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 axe down and Supergirl kind of flying in to push it back up. So I I really like that. I think that's one of the the standouts for me. And like I mentioned, uh, the reflections were really big in this issue, and I really enjoyed. Uh, there's a panel on page five of Supergirl being reflected in Ben's glasses. I thought that was a really really nice touch. I really liked um, page seventeen. That's that's when the uh, the DEO article or articles. I don't know that headline is insane. Uh, <laughs> it's when it drops and you see everybody's reactions to it, um, and I find them to be hilarious uh, because so Director Bones. Uh, I've never seen a skeleton face look that anguished. Uh, he's really bummed. Like he's having such a bad day. Supergirl is just kind of like, oh, okay. Uh, she has no, almost no reaction at all. That's funny. In itself, um, Makari, uh, I didn't realize how dumb his facial hair was until this panel. It, <laughs> it's not great. It uh, is, and then, yeah. <laughs> there's so much happening below his chin that should not be happening yeah, at all. Yeah, that is a choice. <laughs> it's a it's a real choice. He's making a bold statement <laughs> with that facial hair. <laughs> and then we have uh, our our girl who is just so psyched about it for no apparent reason. <laughs> 
Well, I mean, that's exposing his crimes, and that's her whole her whole deal is that Director Bones pays for his crimes. So I guess that's why she's excited. Yeah, and I, and I also, obviously, I, I love the the panel um, at the bottom of that page where um, Supergirl's fighting the Viking uh, in the background. In the foreground, Director Bones is kind of like trying to crawl his way and also <laughs> try to call the DEO. <laughs> and he gets real mad at the end, like, is anyone there? Hello? <laughs> <laughs> It's like, listen, no one's taking your calls anymore. Did you not? Did you not spend ten minutes reading that headline? <laughs> <laughs> oh, bones! I, I, uh, yeah. He. This is uh, his worst day, but uh, maybe he brought it on himself. Um, okay, so uh, we've talked a little bit about the art. Uh, overall thoughts on this issue. What do you think about Supergirl number twenty? I have to say, this is. Maybe one of the more fun issues of Rebirth, which is considering how confused I was. I mean, I don't understand how, like, half of what happened in this issue. <laughs> there was a, there was Director Bones. There was a giant Viking lady um, who was judging, who maybe was like a person uh, who was maybe taking over another person named Agnes. I don't know. <laughs> I honestly don't know. She she was whisked off by a dude named Neon. Okay, um, Lauren just busted a bunch of people out of tubes. All right, there was something called the Psycho Redactor. Sure, uh, <laughs> Ben had access to all the newspapers of the world. Makes sense. Um, <laughs> like it just at some point, like you get halfway through the issue and you're like, you have to. You're either going with it or you're. Or they've lost you. And I guess I just decided to go with it. And I had a lot of fun. (laughs) (laughs) I will say I enjoyed this issue as well. Even if there were some things I I didn't fully understand. Uh, I really enjoyed getting to meet uh, Turid Goldenax. Which is now one of my favorite comic book names uh, that I have ever known, read, or heard about. Uh, I enjoyed the Director Bones stuff in here and his uh, interactions with both uh, Turid and Supergirl. Uh, I liked seeing Lauren, the Kryptonian werewolf, in action. So uh, there were lots of good things about this issue. But yeah, I think they could have done a better job explaining some things. Uh, But that seems to be on par for Rebirth. (laughs) Well, I think that's going to do it for our thoughts on Supergirl number 20. If you've already picked up this issue, make sure to give it a rating in Comixology or your DC Comics app. And if you haven't bought it yet, Supergirl number 20 is available in the DC Comics app, the Comixology app, as well as Comixology.com, Google Play, the Nook Store, Amazon, and at ReadDCEntertainment.com. Uh, well, if you'd like to contact Supergirl Radio, you can post a comment on our website at SupergirlRadio.com. If you'd like to email us, you can do that at SupergirlRadio If you'd like to leave us a voicemail, you can call us at 678-718-7252. And uh, make sure you write and call in before Tuesdays at 6.30 p.m. Eastern. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter and Instagram, all at Radio. You can, lis- you can listen to us on Google Play, iHeartRadio, Spotify, where we also have a Spotify playlist that includes music featured on and inspired by the show. We're also on Radio Public and Podchaser. We are listed on DC's fan page, which you can find at dccomics.com slash dc-fans. We're available on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher Radio, so if you have some time, we encourage you to give us a rating and write us a review. 
And you can find all the links to everything I just mentioned over at superradio.com on the right side of the page. And now we throw it over to Mark for the DCTV plugs. Supergirl Radio is part of the DCTV podcast network. So if you like Arrow, The Flash, Legends of Tomorrow, iZombie, Black Lightning, Krypton, here's a hint, don't trust Zod, Titans, Batwoman, or classic DCTV shows, or the upcoming Swamp Thing and Stargirl shows, you can subscribe to the Mega Feed on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Stitcher. Follow at DCTV Podcasts on Twitter and like DCTV Podcasts on Facebook. You can follow me on Twitter at Derby Kid and Instagram at The Derby Kid. I am also a contributor to Justice League Universe Podcast, where, uh, which you can find over at jluniverse.podomatic.com. And I also voice a character named Leanne Snyder on a podcast called The Fakest, which is basically a sketch comedy podcast about what if there was a news station that reported fake news, which is a hilarious concept with a lot of silly stories. So if you want to laugh about uh, a bunch of nonsense uh, like uh, we did uh, with Supergirl number 20, uh, check out The Fakest, and that's Fakest with an I. Uh, and you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Mojotastic. And you can also find me as a co-host on the Legends of Tomorrow podcast. We have a long, long, long break before new episodes of that show. So we're trying to think up some fun things to do for the summer. So if you have any ideas, you can always email us at thelegendspodcast at gmail.com. We're open. We're open to it because we've got many, many months to <laughs> to uh to think up some ideas. I'm glad that you offered that. I might take you up on that. Uh, look for an email uh, <laughs> nice. from me. <laughs> I, w- I will give you a bullet points of ideas. So uh, that's Love good it. to know. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, thanks for joining us as we read Supergirl Rebirth. <laughs> 